You know how certain hymns, there's so many good ones, but certain ones just kind of resonate with us and, and maybe even a little more than others do for specific reasons. But one of those hymns for me is Come Thou Fount. And I think it's just because it's just the honesty of it. You know, you, ha- you have a hymn writer who is just kind of almost writing in real time about a real struggle, and he just says it, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And when he says it, of course, I think about prone to wander, and I feel it deep down in my bones. Like, he feels it deeply, so deeply, in fact, that it inspires him to put it in a hymn. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Those things are hard for us to sing, but I'm glad we sing them because it gets at the human experience so well. Because if you're sitting here this morning, you can hear my voice. You've had seasons where you are prone to wander, prone to step away from the God we love for pastures that may seem greener or just maybe pastures that just seem easier. And I love how that song brings us back around to the reality of the fount of Christ is really where our satisfaction is found. This morning, as is our custom with Communion Sundays, we're taking a break from 2 Timothy, and I've chosen a quite familiar passage as we've been making our way through what I've called iconic passages in Proverbs chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn them over to Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to be looking specifically at at verses 5 and 6, but a little bit of context will be given around those. But my guess is, if you've served the Lord for any amount of time, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are something you could probably quote off the top of your head. In fact, it's probably something that you've said to other believers. It's something that other believers have said to you. And when it's said or when it's spoken or when we read it, of course, we nod and we amen, of course, this is right, and yes, we should trust in the Lord with all our heart. We should not lean on our own understanding, and we should know God in all our ways, and yes, His promise, or He, he tells us that our paths will be straight, of course, whatever that may mean, we'll look at here in just a moment. But, of course, the challenge comes in passages like this, is when's the last time you really thought about it? When was the last time you actually drank it in and didn't simply just read over it, nod our heads, and say yes or amen, or share it as an encouragement without really chewing on it ourselves. As, as these iconic passages often do, they get into our psyche, so they're easy to remember and talk about, but have they really, truly seeped into our hearts afresh? And I'm not just preaching at you this morning. I'm preaching to us. I have to ask myself the same question. When was the last time I really dwelt on what does it mean to trust the Lord? What does it mean to know Him in all my ways? What does it mean to not lean on my own understanding? And when I do lean on my own understanding, what does it mean about my trust in the Lord? And what are those outcomes? What is the most natural outcome to those situations? Well, I'm going to tip my hand a little bit this morning. We'll get into the text here in just a moment. Um, Because I think that so often we can read these passages of Scripture and we lose them. We lose them. Not that we don't know it. Not that we can't quote it. Not that we don't admire it and appreciate it. But we lose the real heart of it because it has become so rote in our minds that our hearts don't feel it anymore. And I'm not going to talk about feelings today. But I do think it's important that these things not just register academically, but they register at the deepest core of who we are, 
which is our heart, so that we can say with joy and confidence and hope, man, I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart, with all that is within me. I'm going to trust in the Lord. And by God's grace, I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. In all my ways, I'm going to seek to know Him and make Him known, and I'm going to trust that the path He has me walking on may hurt, but it's the straight path I need to be on. See, I think we need to take wisdom literature, and I'm going to talk about this in just a second, and put it in its proper context about what it is and what it's not. So with those introductory thoughts this morning, we're going to look at the surrounding context of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I'm going to actually read verses 1 to 12. We won't be looking at all those verses, but I think it's important for us to set a good context, and then we'll build from there. So starting, if you will, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing. Pray with me for just a moment. Father, we thank you for this text this morning. We thank you for its power, and we do thank you for the thinner part of it that so many of us can quote right off the top of our heads that we know it. But God, help us to really, really know it afresh this morning. Remind us of what it means to live our lives trusting in you. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. So when we think about this text, it's building a foundation of those 12 verses. Five and six do really reach the, that's what what the verses are crescendoing towards. And after six, so seven through 12 are kind of giving us the ramifications of what does it mean for us to trust in the Lord and not lean on our own understanding. But here's what this proverb, this little section of Proverbs, these sayings are trying to get at. When When it comes to our relationship with the Lord, with Christ, Yahweh, God, uh, we need to understand how central trust is to that. In, In other words, how do we really live out our trust in the Lord? Because, beloved of God, let me tell you, if there's not real trust in the Lord, there will not be real relationship. Yet there can't be. Relationships are built on trust now, Brad. Can trust and relationships ever be broken? Humanly speaking, absolutely they can. And we do things as human beings all the time to break trust. But God does not break trust with His people. Where the break happens is when we stop trusting in who God is and what He wants to do. When we begin to think, as the Israelites did in the wilderness, I've got a better way. I've got a more practical way. I've got an easier way. Well, that's where the break happens. That's where the break in trust happens. So it's not that God has ceased to be trustworthy. We've just ceased to trust in His ultimate plan. 
read Job if you haven't read it recently. It's hard. It's not easy. The kids and Rachel and I have been reading through it and, and discussing it. But the whole premise of Job is that God has a good plan, and no matter what it looks like on the outside, he remains trustworthy, which is the whole push of what Job is trying to do, is keep his trust in the Lord despite what he's experiencing. Because Job and we need to understand that that is a linchpin in our relationship with God, is trust. When our trust fails, we're going to go astray. It's just inevitable. And so when we think about trust in the Lord, we need to understand that trust in the Lord, the primary point we're going to look at today is that trust in the Lord leads to right worship and it leads to right living. So this, uh, these are two twin pillars in the Christian life, that trust in the Lord leads to right worship and it leads to right living. And both of these pillars are essential to the Christian life. And when we talk about right living and living rightly and being obedient, that is not, that is not against salvation by faith. That if we are saved by faith through grace, then we need to be living rightly. Now, we don't always do that. That's where repentance comes in. But the goal of the Christian life is to worship rightly and to live rightly, and that is founded on the basis of our trust in who God is, that God is eminently trustworthy. Now, when we think about this, we saw this phrase already in verse 7, fear the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is primary in wisdom literature. This little paragraph, it comes in a book. It comes in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is in a whole corpus of literature in the Old Testament that is labeled wisdom literature. The primary goal of wisdom literature is two things to tell us truth about God and how we live in light of that truth. It's a very practical section of the Old Testament. It's meant to drive us to Psalms and Job and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and Song of Solomon. And then, of course, if we were, we were looking in the Hebrew Old Testament, it would include books like, like Daniel and Ruth and these other ones that are meant to talk. What does it look like to live in covenant with God? And that's what this gets down to. What does it look like to be people who live in this relationship of promise, which is what a covenant is, with God? What does it look like? Well, Proverbs would say, in the grand scheme of things, a lot of what it looks like is this concept of fear of the Lord, but how do we even tease that out? Well, if we're going to fear the Lord, i.e. reverently worship Him and live in relationship with Him, what is the starting point for that? Trust. How to trust that He is God he is who He says He is. He can do what He says He can do. He can fulfill the promises that He makes. And so that's what we're looking at. When we, when we look at trust in God and it's foundational to living with and in Him, I'm just, you don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus makes a very similar statement. He's, get, he's talking to uh, the disciples He's, he's telling, telling them about his life and ministry. He's at this point in John's gospel, he's preparing them for his departure. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That word there, believe, standard word in Greek. But you know what the implication of that word is? It's not just believe, as I think is true. It is to trust Trust in God. Trust also in me. Why would Jesus be telling the disciples this at this point? Well, he's getting ready to be crucified. He's getting ready to be killed and 
and horribly beaten and taken from them for a period of time. And so what is he challenging them to do? No matter what the plan looks like in your earthly eyes, believe, trust, because that's the basis. Verses 1 to 4 in this paragraph that I just read are talking about, you know, the, the realities or the outcomes if we take to heart wisdom literature. So if we take to heart the wisdom of God and we, we set our hearts on keeping commandments, that there will be peace that the Lord will give us, length of days even. And remember, in wisdom literature, we can't take everything as an express promise. It's a general idea of this is for people who honor the Lord they have length of days. For people who honor the Lord generally, they have peaceful lives. It doesn't mean without conflict. Remember, the peace, the shalom that we're talking about here is a peace between us and God, a peace, a wholeness, a sense of well-being between us and the Lord. So he's, laying, he's making out his case here. He's making his case. You'll find favor, good success, in the sight of God and of man. And then he gives the express commands here, and this is where we're going to begin. So he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. We'll stop right there. So first and foremost, he's talking to us about trust. He's going to talk about two ideas here, trust and knowledge. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. He's going to come back around literally and say, in all your ways, know him. Acknowledge him as a fine translation, but literally in all your ways, know him. And so you've got these, again, I'm going to use the picture of twin pillars. You've got trust on one side, and you've got knowledge on the other. Now, why? Because it's our knowledge that helps fuel our trust. When we know the Lord in all our ways, that's the formula for how we live our lives trusting him. It's easier said than done, I know, but I'm just telling you that's, that's the case that's being built here. Now, this trust here, though, it's not a, hey, you might should think about it. It's trust in the Lord. It's an express command. So at the very basis of all things, what are we as Christians believers to do? We're, I mean, we, we call ourselves believers. It should not be lost on us that in even Greek and Hebrew, both believe and trust are built off the same word. So as believers, we are saying we are those who trust in the Lord. It's an express command where we have to believe and we have to live. That belief is a call to live. And so we can only trust one master. That's exactly what Jesus came to the earth, which is embodied in this table, to do, to give us insight and revelation of who that master is and what does it look like to trust him. Well, Jesus would say, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow after me. What does that look like through the lens of the Old Testament? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now, there is some nuance to what Jesus is calling because Jesus is calling for sacrifice. But we can look at this lens, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, through the lens of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, that we're called to deny ourselves, i.e., don't lean on our own understanding, Take up our cross daily, i.e., don't lean on our own understanding, and follow him, i.e., trust him and know him in all our ways. So you have this beautiful parallel that when Jesus is making his case for his followers to be disciples, we can root it back into this wisdom literature. Because Jesus shows us how trustworthy is the Lord, beloved, how trustworthy is the Lord. How trustworthy is Yahweh. 
so trustworthy that He sends His Son, His unique Son that we talked about in John 3.16, to come to the world and be obedient to death, even death on a cross. Man, I know it's hard. It's hard in the details of our lives. You feel the pinch of real life, don't you? You feel the pinch of economy. You feel the pinch of relationships. You feel the pinch of your own struggles. Maybe you have these struggles with anxiety or depression or, or anger or despair or you've been wronged. You've been betrayed. Your wishes and hopes have been unfulfilled. And surely in those moments, it's easy to look up at heaven and go, why would you do this to me? Beloved, that's the wrong response. And I'll even confess, there are times in my own life as a man of God and as a pastor where I want to look at the Lord and go, why? But we come here every so often to this table to, be rem to remember that God is trustworthy. Our details, the details of our lives work out in ways in which we love and sometimes we don't. They come to fruition in ways in which we love and others we don't. The beauty of trust is this, that despite how we feel in a moment, despite whatever pinch we find ourselves in, we can look at the cross and say, but God has done this for us. I can trust him. The people in your life that you trust the most, I'm going to make, I'm going to venture a guess. The people in our lives that we trust the most tend to be the ones who are the most sacrificial. Why? Because the sacrificial one is the loving one. The sacrificial one tends to be the one who sets other things aside for love and growth and help and hope and peace. We have a God who sacrificed his son for our redemption, for our salvation, and to remind us who is the trustworthy one, the one who sacrifices not the one who holds on, hoping for a better offer. So we have this working its way through. But who do we trust in? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go phrase by phrase. Who do we trust in? In the Lord. That little prepositional phrase is beautiful. In the Lord. Not just anyone, but Yahweh. That's why when you see those capital L-O-R-D in the text, what that's telling you is that in Hebrew Scripture, that that's Yahweh. Some people like the word Jehovah. However, Yahweh, that, that's exactly what that's talking about. Why trust in who? Not Elohim, not just El, not in Adonai, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. We trust in the God who keeps His promises. We trust in the God who's established relationship with us. Who is this covenant-keeping God? The God who fights for His people. That's who we trust in. The God whom David served, the God whom Moses and Abraham served, and the prophets spoke about, the God whom Jesus would embody. Why did Jesus come to the earth? To fight for his people. That's who this God that we trust in, not just any God, but the one that Jesus embodied perfectly. And how do we trust this one, this, this, this warrior God, this Yahweh, who fights for his people? How do we trust in him? With all our heart. Now, don't just locate the heart to hear anatomically, and don't just locate the heart to hear philosophically. When the Hebrew Scriptures like this, Paul is very good about this. He'll take one part of the human person, and he'll use it to describe the whole person. 
So when, when the Proverbs here states, trust in the Lord with all your heart, it doesn't just mean in your cognitive ability or in how you feel. It means in your cognitive ability, how you feel, what you do, everything. Trust in the Lord with all of who you are, every aspect of yourself. Trust in the Lord. Don't just let it be an academic exercise. Don't just let it be an emotional exercise. Let it be both. It needs to be both. It needs to be all of who we are, that our whole life is laid on the altar of Yahweh, that we give ourselves to Him. Now, he bounces this out with a negative. The positive, what is the positive? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What is the negative? So that means we've got to avoid something. Do not lean on your own understanding. Now, what's interesting here about this text is that if you take the word trust and you take the word do not lean on your own understanding, there, there, there's a parallel there. The one who trusts is trusting in something else. The one who's not trusting is inevitably leaning on their own understanding. So there's no, there is in this particular case no middle ground. You can't be kind of trusting and leaning on your own understanding. You're trusting or you're leaning on your own understanding which is why sometimes it makes me uncomfortable when people describe somebody, well, he or she has one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. I get what they're trying to say. I really do. But that's a, a, real, a, a realistic impossibility. Because if my foot is in the world, what Jesus would say, we're leaning on our own understanding. You're not denying yourself. You're not taking up your cross daily. You're not following me. Beloved, this is convicting to me. I just want you to know, know this. This is deeply convicting to me personally because trust in the Lord really is a zero-sum game. Who will we trust in? Brad, are you saying we can never have moments of weakness? No, I'm not saying that at all. Please don't hear me say that. Are you saying that we can never have periods where we realize we're not trusting in the Lord? No, those are blessed periods from the Holy Spirit where you begin to see things as they are. The point of this particular passage is it's, a, it's calling us to an all-out trust in the Lord. Because when we're trusting in the Lord, we can't possibly lean on our own understanding. So that in all our ways, we do know Him. What does that mean? Kind of like all our heart. This is a parallel statement. Trust in the Lord with all your heart very parallel. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your ways, know Him. Those are parallel statements. They say the same thing. Zero-sum game requires all of who we are. We can't just cognitively acknowledge the Lord, but live like we want to. We can't do righteous deeds, but have cognitive dissonance about the Lord. This is, these things have to line up, and they must. But what does it mean to know God? Many a men and women can spout out things that are true about God, but that doesn't mean they know Him. Just like there's a lot of people you can, I can spout out things about celebrities. I can tell you a lot about J.R.R. Tolkien, a lot, more than any one man should be able to. I don't know him. There's a sense where to know is to live, and it's deeply intimate. And so to know God is to live like He's right, He's true, His words matter, His commandments matter. 
His precepts and statutes matter. And not just matter, but are authoritative. And that I want to reflect that. This compels us to make our stand for Him. And so what does that mean? It means that He says, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll do what? He will make straight your paths. What does that mean? Well, in Hebrew thought, a straight path is a good path. And there's reasons, there's practical reasons for this. You know what a crooked, windy path represented? It represented bends in a road where robbers and thugs could easily hide to take advantage of you because they are attacking from a place of secrecy. You can't see them. A crooked, hilly road with obstacles is a, is a great way to get a mechanical injury. And what I mean by that is a, a broken ankle or a broken leg or a stubbed toe or, you know, in a, in a culture where you really needed your sandals. If you mess up your sandals when you're trying to walk in rocky, arid Palestine, that is what we would call no bueno because that is tough on the feet. And so what is God doing when He is making a pathway straight? He's giving you a clear line of sight. He's given you the ability to see what's coming at you. He's given you the ability to prepare for obstacles because the straight path does not mean no obstacles. It does not mean uh, no hardships. It means that when I see things the way that I'm supposed to see them, that I can see it coming, and then when I know the, when I know the let's use this, when I know the valley of shadow is coming because I'm looking at it down the straight path, it compels me at that point to trust in the Lord and lean not on my own understanding. So the straight path is the path of clarity. It's walkable. God tells us how to walk. He tells us to walk in a way that honors Him, following the Good Shepherd, listening to His commands, leaning and trusting on Him. The straight path really is the God-honoring path, the path that says God is King, and I'm going to walk this path. I'm going to walk this path to the jeers of culture. I'm going to walk this path to the accusations of culture. I'm going to walk this path to the glory of God and the good of my brother because it is only on this path where truth is found. So when we think about this, we unpack, you unpack these two verses, and we should. What does it mean, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways know him and he will make your path straight? It really does get at the life of Christ in terms of how he lived his life. He set the example. What, do we, what does Jesus tell about himself? He did not entrust himself to man because he knew what was in man. He entrusted, hear that word, he entrusted himself to the one who what? Judges justly. Was Jesus' path straight? As an arrow. Was it easy? No. We're on that same path. A few more things before I wrap this up. So he says, be not wise in your own eyes. We have to mention this. Be not wise in your own eyes. What is being wise in your own eyes? It's leaning on your own understanding. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. What is fear, which is an express command, by the way. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. What is fearing the Lord and turning away from evil? It's trusting in the Lord with all our heart. When we think about the fear of the Lord, I've already, I've already mentioned it. I won't spend a ton of time here. It's the reverent worship and trust 
in the covenant-keeping God. And he gives us here, what does it mean to fear the Lord? The two implications are, I've just read them, that we turn away from evil. To fear the Lord is to turn from evil, is to consistently turn from evil, to turn away from false living, false worship, to trust God. And the straight path that we walk is a constant walking away from what is evil. And so repentance is when we begin to lean on our own understanding, we repent and we turn away from what is evil and we walk the straight path of God. It's also not being wise in our own eyes. But when we think about the fear of the Lord, what He says here is it will bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now, the interesting thing here is refreshment, think of that as medicinal, right? Medical in nature. So, oftentimes we view fear of the Lord, we think of pillars of fire, we think of people worshiping, and we should, right? We should. It's exactly how the Old Testament paints it and the New Testament. But I also think we need to remember that the fear of the Lord is what the author in the Proverbs is telling us really is balm for the soul. How do I find health and help and hope and healing in the fear of the Lord, in trusting in the Lord, in knowing the Lord with all of my heart, in all of my ways, and constantly remembering the the call of Christ to follow after Him. Beloved, what I'll call the cruciform life, that is the life in the shape of the cross, it really does demand that we trust the Lord. And here in a few moments, we're going to get an opportunity to share in the Lord's Supper together. And I want the beauty of it to rest heavy on us, that Jesus embodied this perfectly. And you know what His call is to us? Come and follow me. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word this morning and its power, its beauty, its richness. Oh, there's so much more we could say that we could continue to dig deeply, but here it is. It's laid out for us in the richness of your word. And so I pray that you would use it this morning to renew us, to transform us. God, to convict us right now, let your spirit move in our hearts to bring conviction for our often our lack of trust. And Father, there are so many ways we try to cover it up with pragmatic terminology, philosophical things. And yet, Father, let us just see it for what it is, that our failure to trust and our continuing to lean on our own understanding, help us to see we can't live in the midst of that. But thank you for Jesus Christ who gives hope and peace and who continues to teach us what it means to trust. May we learn from his example. May we walk in repentance. It's through his name we pray. Amen.